God that likes to do that, not me. I don't like being put on the spot. Praise God. You have a word? Or have a word? If you don't, I'm, I have a word. Don't you worry about that. Praise God. Do you remember where, um, is it 2 Samuel, where it talks about um, David fleeing to the cave and then his father and his brothers heard about it mm -hmm. and they came to him and then also um, the discontented the, those who were in debt and the um, there was another category but they, they all they all gravitated to him right. and um, uh, he became captain over them not lording it over them. He was ministering to them. They gravitated towards him um, because they loved him, but also, anyhow, they believed in, in him. But um, uh, anyhow, they became his army, mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. And um, uh, I'm just, I'm thankful, you know, for. For those like you and and Dean um, and just different men of God, Brother Jeffers, um, you know that are bearing the reproach of Jesus, you know, and the world's coming against you, the flesh, the devil, spirit of religion, all kinds of things are coming against you guys, you know. But those who are hungry for for God, know that they need God. The outcasts, meaning those who didn't make the cut in, the, in the, the, the world of religion, but also in the world too, because they had a calling on their life and the devil didn't like it, and so he, he, he oppressed them. And so those were the ones that were gravitating towards um, David. And, um, uh, you know, uh, who was a man after God's heart, you know, so... It's a good thing to be a man after God's heart, you know, but it, it's not an easy thing all the time, definitely painful, but, um, you know, the more we become like Christ, the more people, even souls will gravitate towards us, you know, and, um, <laughs> and wow, God will create an army out of them, you know, uh, but um, anyhow, praise God, um, Thankful, just thankful for what God is doing. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Let's praise the Lord together. Amen. Thank praise you, Jesus. God. Jesus. Thank you, God. Praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God, we thank you for these days that you have called us to. Yes, Lord God. Lord God, we thank you that you have called us to the very end of the procession. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. you, God. Anyone else? Lord laid something on your heart to deliver unto the people of God. Thank you, Jesus. If not, then I will move forward. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> verse 9. Amen. Matthew 6, verse 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed, some people say hallowed, uh, however you like to say it, hallowed be thy name. <coughs> thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Yes, Jesus. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. <coughs> We know this scripture. Come on, this is uh, this is one of the scriptures that people that aren't even Christians know because they, we've heard we've heard it in culture. We've heard it in a Christian culture like this, even though this is no longer a Christian culture. But we've heard it. Our parents have heard it. A lot of people who grew up nominally Christian have heard it. Some people. That's one of the one passages of the Bible they know above any other passage of the Bible. Uh, I guarantee you, probably more people know this scripture. Than, than no John 3.16, which has got to be one of the hands-down most famous Bible scriptures ever, right? You know, that's the one they always flash at the football game, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. John 3.16, you know, you know, they do, right? Mm -hmm. uh, no one flashes up Matthew 9, you know, or Matthew 6, 9 through whatever it is, you know. But they know it better. You know, I had a friend in at school, uh, he was Baptist, but earlier in his life he was Catholic, and uh, they would go up to places like La Salette, which is over here in Attleboro, mm -hmm. and uh, what they would have to do is they'd have to crawl up these stairs on their knees, and uh, they'd have to recite the Ah Father, you know, that's the way he called it the in the New England vernacular, Ah Father, okay, and uh, I like to call it the Disciples Prayer because it's what we're told to pray, but he had just told us, don't pray like the heathen with vain repetition. And isn't it amazing how we take the very passage of Scripture itself and we vainly repeat it? Uh, the, the very place we're told not to do it is, is exactly the part we do. Well, what, what they would do is he and his brother would have races up these stairs. You know, I'm all in charge of heaven, how will be that name, I can't even come with me, you know, and they, and they just muscle up their way up the stairs because they had to say the Our Father every, every time they went up, you know, one step. Well, I, I think uh, I don't need to really lay it heavily upon any of us today that there's something a little wrong with that system of religion. In fact, there's something wrong with every system of religion. We are at times almost desperately trying to rip away religion out of, out of this church. And uh, it's still there a little bit. Come on, let, let's just be, let's be honest. Let's be open. It's still there. It's still easy to fall into. Why? Because there is a spirit of religion that constantly works on our hearts and minds. Whether you think it does or not, every single one of us are human. And we all like habits. We all have habits. Some habits are good. Some habits are bad. You might even say addictions are just bad habits. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, it's just a habit that takes you to the wrong direction. But every one of us endorse good habits. Right. You know, religion is really all that means. When James says, hey, pure religion and undefiled, what is he talking? Is he, is he endorsing what we now in these modern days call religion? He's not. What he's saying is if you're going to have a routine in your life, if you're going to have something you do every day, if you're going to have something that you focus on like a normal pattern of existence, then feed the followers in the woods, right? And keep yourself unspotted from the world. You do that. If you want to do something religiously, then help somebody else that doesn't have what you have and help yourself out by keeping yourself unspotted from the people you move around with every day. We all know that. I remember one day I was up at about quarter to five. I was, um, was down in the kitchen here, and uh, I was making myself uh, some coffee. This is many, many years ago. Uh, I was heading to work. I, had, I was only about 19, but for whatever reason, I had gathered a gaggle of men together, all older than me, that wanted me to take them to work because they had all went out drinking and smashed up their cars. And... Uh, the 19-year-old the who only had his license for a couple of years, uh, he's the one that they're all asking to drive to work. 
So I'd have to go into Woonsocket, pick this guy up, pick a couple of guys up in Bellingham. At one time, I even had to go backtrack into Cumberland, then to Woonsocket, then Bellingham, then over to Milford. And uh, after a while, I had a carload of people that I was driving every day, and every new person that asked me to take them to work, I had to get up that much earlier in the day. So, you know, I was down there making a cup of coffee, and Brother Douglas was here in the building, and he had been up apparently already a couple of hours just in here praying. Uh, I didn't know that, but he, he came through the, the what is now the fellowship hall, uh, just kind of whistling, oh, hey, good morning, son. And he's like, he's like, you know what? I'm proud of you, young man. You go to work very religiously. And I, I almost got my feelings hurt, like, huh? He's like, it's unusual to see a 19-year-old uh, person uh, getting up at this time of the day and, 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 and actually taking care of other people to make sure they get to work. And, I, and, and okay, okay, I get it. It's a compliment. You're not calling me a religion. You're, call, you're complimenting my life. But I never forgot that. He says, you do this very religiously. You make sure. And, and it was true. I, I'm not bragging about myself. I'm just, my dad taught me right. Okay, and God taught me right through him. The Holy Ghost was teaching me right in my heart in certain things. And there's so many times that I would get to someone's house and they weren't ready. I mean, why is it that I'm waking up early to come pick you up? I get ready, get in my car, scrape, you know, the frost off the windshield, heat the thing up, uh, coax the thing running on a very cold day when it wants to stall every other light and uh, make it out to your house and you're not even ready to go. Anybody ever dealt with people like that? You know, and well, I had about three or four of them. No. <laughs> you know, there's so many times I went to my friend Hank's house and be outside in front of his house, carload of people. He was the last guy on the route, and I'd be like honking the horn and I'm like, oh, come on. So instead of someone else in the car getting out and going knocking on the door, of course, Marcus has to do it. So I get out of the car, knock on the door. You know, this happened at least once a week. He'd show up at the door in his underwear. What? It's time for work, man. It'll be five minutes. Yeah. Five minutes. We're going to be late in five minutes. Come on, man. This guy was 29. I was 19. He doesn't have a car. Living with his parents, you know, because he went because of his lifestyle. But he's relying on a guy like me to be his alarm clock and his ride and to make sure he gets out to work on time in order to get a paycheck to go out and do some more drinking, I guess. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's fun dealing with folks. But what I got to do, I got to do is I got to tell them that, no, no, I believe God created this world, and I think he did it less than 10,000 years ago. And I, I had an audience every morning on the way to work, and, and it, it stirred up all kinds of <laughs> My friend Dan was like, you really believe that? It's like, yeah. I said, aren't you Catholic? He's like, yeah, but I don't believe that. I'm like, well, read your Bible again. It's, that's what it says. I don't believe you that. Know? <laughs> He said, I don't believe that either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Obviously, he didn't because he, he, didn't, he didn't believe it. one part of it. You really don't believe the rest of it. He came, we came to work one day, and there was this college, big-time college student, you know. Uh, he was, uh, I think he was studying anthropology of all things. And, and uh, he comes up, and he, he just sets up a fight. He's like, hey, you know, you, know, uh, you know this guy, right? You know Marcus, right? He's like, Marcus doesn't believe in evolution. This guy hits the roof. What? Are you crazy? You know, how dare you be the absolute cockroach of society and not believe what science is proving? Yeah. I don't believe it because God's proven himself to me. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Far greater than, than any theory of man. Amen. God has proven himself to me. We get into this passage, though. We, we, we look at this and... You know, I, I know I go off on tenets, but, but we're talking about religion is where all this was going. We get, it, we get into things and we get into routines and there is a spirit of religion that always wants us to get into a pattern of deadness in our life where we just fulfill a routine. They're constantly fighting it. You know, we, we did the reset, which was good. After the reset, we did our best not to just fall into the same patterns. And we end up doing it anyway to the extent where the Lord is saying, you need another one. You, you need another shakeup. And this time we're going to do more than just come to church a couple of times a week and pray and, and pray for each other. There, there's going to be more involved this time. But uh, we'll talk to you more about that later. 
The Lord's given me all kinds of good stuff. And uh, I can't wait till February in the name of Jesus. We get past the silly season and get, get past the, the crazy traffic season. And let's, let's just get in here in the cold season and pray together in a nice warm room. Amen? Amen. So we can all fall asleep together. No. So we can all pray for each other. Amen? Amen. Praise God. We're going through this. I'm really just looking at two parts of this prayer. But it's amazing to me, as many years as I've walked with the Lord, as many years as I've been able to quote this passage of Scripture by heart, and that's not saying a lot. Probably all of you can too. Everybody with me? Mm -hmm. okay, we're going to start with Carrie. You can go down and off. But most of us probably can. At the very least, if you heard it quoted, you could probably quote along with it. Right. How about that? Everybody's good with that one, right? Okay, let's all take it. No, we're not going to do that. But it's amazing to me how many times I've read this passage, know this passage, can quote it. That every time I get down to prayer and I begin to pray this pattern or this manner, God shows me something new. Amen. It's just really a few words. I mean, we, we could go, go ahead and count it in the Greek and count it in the English and find out. It's just a handful of words, right? A couple dozen words, a few dozen words, right? It's not, it's not a long passage. It's not a long prayer. And yet what he said was pray after this manner. Let this be the manner of your life. Not the religion of your life, but the manner of your life. There are good habits. But even our good habits ought to be free in the Holy Ghost and by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise God. What, what if your prayer time every morning was rigidly from 6 to 7? You need to have, that's a good habit. Anybody consider it a good habit to pray an hour a day? Amen. I think it's a good habit. And yet, the rigid, rigidity of six to seven is a bad habit. Mm -hmm. See, the hour is good. Even Jesus said, Could, couldn't you pray with me an hour? Mm -hmm. I think that's where we get that whole sweet hour of prayer. Mm -hmm. You notice how it used to be sweet hour of prayer and that went down to a moment of silence? Mm. <laughs> okay, we're done. You know, <laughs> That's what happens. That's what happens in a church. Well, let's all bow our heads in a moment of silence. Okay, let's go on with our schedule. It used to be sweet hour of prayer. Even Jesus said, couldn't you do give me one hour? One hour out of 24 is not so bad. What am I supposed to do with that hour? There's only so many things I can ask God for in an hour. Well, then stop asking Him for stuff and start asking Him what He wants from you. Right. Amen. That'll take up a whole lot of hours in your day if you'll really start listening well and say, well, what do you want from me, God? What can I give to you? If you start actually giving him that, it'll take up a lot of your day, not, not just an hour. Because he'll start telling you, I want your life. I want your thoughts. I want your heart. I want your worship. I want your time. I want your money. I want your effort. I want everything. Right. So that ends up being 24 hours. Mm -hmm. I think one hour of prayer is not so bad, but again, when we get into a focus, uh, I start at 6 and I end at 7, and uh, you know, that part of it's a bad habit. That's the religion. What if God wakes you up uh, in the middle of the night? God, leave me alone right now. I'm trying to sleep. Uh, some of us remember Brother Fred Gill. You ladies remember Brother Fred Gill? Some of us remember Brother Fred Gill. He was telling us a story years ago when he was teaching at the ALJC camp up in uh, Washington, Maine, at the campground up there. He was, he was talking about his message was total commitment. And he was talking about how he would teach at the Bible college. He would work uh, either in the Bible college or work uh, and do, do other things, either to make money or just helping people out. He would counsel people late into the night, like 10 o'clock at night, he'd be counseling people. Sometimes like 12 o'clock at night, he'd be counseling people. He said, come 4 o'clock in the morning, no matter how tired he was, the Lord's tapping him away. Get up, it's time to pray. He's like, this would happen like every day. He would go 10, 12 at night, you know, 2, 3, 4 in the morning. The Lord's saying, get up and pray. And it's not like he ever went back to sleep afterwards. He would get up and pray for several hours and then get up and go do his day. And when people were realizing that he's only literally getting two, three, four, maybe five hours a night if, if, on a good night, they said, how are you surviving? People can't survive. He's like, if it's not God, it's not happening. Mm -hmm. 
He's like, I can't do it without God. You know, so if we think God, God wakes up at six, think again. Right? He's always there. Thank God he's always there. Thank God he's awake when you're asleep. Thank God he's awake watching over you when you're asleep. Amen? Praise God. But what can the devil do if God went to sleep? He's not asleep. And so if he wants to talk to you in the middle of the night because he hasn't gotten a chance to talk to you through your busy day, then the best thing you can do is lose some sleep. If the Lord wants you to skip a meal... So that you can feed on his word, the best thing you can do is skip a meal or maybe a day's worth of meal or maybe three days worth of meals in order to get a hold of the living God. Right. I'm serious. Mm -hmm. uh, the church has lost its ability to fast and pray like the old timers have. Mm -hmm. Man, we, we hear stories of these bygone days where they were always fasting, always praying. The church as a whole these days has lost its ability to fast. And, I mean, I'm talking, we, we know the scripture. This kind only goes out by prayer and fasting. Have you ever come up to a situation and you're just like, this thing's not moving? What we tend to do in modern Christianity is say, oh, well, I guess I have to live with it. It's just my cross to bear. Let me give you a little bit of advice about a cross to bear. If you didn't pick it up, it ain't yours. No one can come up to you and slam it on your shoulder. Listen, well, they did that to Jesus. No, Jesus chose to do that. The Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Amen? Right. Jesus took up that cross. Before he took up that cross, he told his disciples, take up your cross. Right. No, Jesus took up his cross. It might look from a human perspective that they made him carry that cross up to Calvary, but he did it with joy. In the name of Jesus. So if you've got something imposed into your life that you didn't choose to take and you didn't choose to carry, it is not your cross to carry. Mm -hmm. I know. I've got to give you about 30 seconds to think about it. Does that suss out on the word? How, how about the spirit? Everybody lick your finger? Does that suss out in the spirit? Amen. Hey, guess what it does? Praise God. Yes, yes, that's, that's spiritual and that's biblical both. Mm -hmm. It lines up in the Word and in the Spirit. Amen. Praise God. Amen. The cross is what you sacrifice. It's a sacrifice in your life. It's you laying yourself down. Amen? Amen? It's you giving your life up. Just like Jesus gave His life up for you. That's what the cross is. But a lot of times what we do is when there are things in our life that do not need to be there. Mm -hmm. Demonic things a lot of times. That just won't move. A lot of times we say, oh, well, I guess that's just the way it is. I've done that in my own life. I'll give you an example. You know me, I've got a million stories. Years and years ago, the words literally have come out of my mouth numerous times when I was a younger man. I have OCD. I've, I cancel that in the spirit. I'm only using this as an example. Okay, everybody all right? Mm -hmm. I don't say that anymore. I don't say that I have that anymore. Why? Because every time I said it in the past, I cursed myself with it. I spoke it out of my mouth as a child of God with creative lips, and that fact was reinforced into my life. Now, there are some true things about me that you don't really need to know. It's not going to help you. It's not really going to help me to say it. I'll say it anyway. I hate having sticky hands. Okay? It's just me. Uh, some of you might be like that too. Uh, I remember years and years ago, we had missionaries to Russia here staying with us at the church. And uh, my mom cut up a watermelon, and we're eating a watermelon. And I would literally take a piece of watermelon. I would eat it, get juice all over my hands, all over my mouth. I'd walk up to the kitchen sink because we were eating in the kitchen here. And I would go, wash my hands, wash my face off, go back, take another bite, go into the sink, wash my hands off, wash my face. And finally, the missionary's wife said, why don't you just eat the whole thing? And then just wash your hands and your mouth afterwards. And until she said that, I didn't even know I was doing it. All I knew is I hated the stuff on my hands, and I hated it dripping off my chin. And so I, I had to go wash it off, dry it off, and then get back to it. And it's like every bite. And it might not have been every bite. It might have been every other bite. I don't know. But I was back and forth with the sink. It was convenient. The sink was right there. But until she said that, I didn't realize how this was happening. And it started setting up something in my mind. Oh, wow, this is, this is a disorder. Later in my years, I found out this goes along with 
obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm -hmm. And I begin to speak out of my mouth that I have this mm -hmm. because I don't like my hands being sticky and I like things just so in certain cases and, and certain things I just can't, <laughs> you know, I can't get around. I'll tell you what, years and years ago when the Lord taught me a good lesson about this, I stopped saying that. In fact, I started saying the reverse. I am delivered from any curse and every disorder in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Why? Because our lips are creative. Amen. He creates the fruit of the lips. Amen. Praise, Amen. praise. Or grace, grace unto it, right? Yep. Praise God. Amen. He creates that. We are children of God. Like uh, Jeff Arnold says, we are the offspring of a speaking God. Mm -hmm. yeah. He spoke the worlds in existence. We do too. And so when we're praying, we're, we're not just getting into a habitual routine. We're not just praying from 6 to 7. If we need to wake up at 1.30 in the morning, and, and you can all give me a pity party later on after church and pat me on the back for this one. Uh, I was up at 1.30 in the morning today from 1.30 to 4.30. And I just couldn't, you know, so what am I doing? Well, the best thing you can do is just start praying. And... Um, that's when I was going over one, Psalm 139. You know, just because I went over one, Psalm 139 and really dug into it and read it and prayed and praise God. It didn't take me three hours to read it, by the way. But uh, I, I, I was meditating upon it. I was talking to Jesus. And, um, in those times, I don't always bring that into the body. A lot of times that is just personal, one-on-one -on -one with me and Jesus. It just so happens today, the Lord said, go ahead and share uh, with the church some of the things I showed you this morning. Well, that let me know right there. 1.30 to 4.30 was ordained of God. Amen. You know, I was already planning on getting up at 7 o'clock this morning and coming down to pray. The Lord said, it's not early enough. I need you from 1.30 to 4.30 to be praying. Well, I slept into almost 8, got ready, came down here a little later, and still prayed again. And again, I'm not trying to show you how spiritual I am. What I'm saying is, even though God broke my routine, you see how strong the routine is that I still felt like I needed to come down and pray some more? That, that's all I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to regale you with my spirituality. I'm trying to tell you that even though God gave me a gift this morning of waking me up at 1.30, I still felt like I needed to get down here as early as possible. No, I had a good time with the Lord this morning down here in the sanctuary. I'm not going to say I, I didn't. It was a good time with the Lord. I had a good time with the Lord when we, uh, when we were praying uh, pre-service prayer. Thank you, brother, for praying for me. Thank you. I felt those prayers this morning. Those, those were powerful prayers. But we had a good time praying. Anytime we get alone with Jesus, anytime we get into the corporate prayer, it's always a good time. It should be. And yet it's amazing how so often when 8 o'clock on like a Thursday night rolls around, we get into this mindset of, I guess prayer's over. What if God's not done at 8 o'clock? Everybody, everybody with me? So we're fighting constantly a spirit of religion. Constantly fighting it. And we have to be aware of it. That's the reason why I'm belaboring this point. I might not say anything more than this today. Sorry if that's putting some of you to sleep. I hope it's not. Uh, if I was sitting in your place, I might be going to sleep too because I missed three hours of sleep last night. Everybody all right? Yes. Praise God. God wants us to be aware of it. Just like we said at the beginning of the service, he wants us to get into a good habit, but not religion, of coming into the house of God, coming into your prayer closet. Every time you approach Jesus, approaching him with awe and respect, approaching him with repentance, reproaching him, uh, not reproaching him, approaching him, uh, but and not reproaching yourself either, not taking the whip out and beating you. I'm just a, a low down dirt. No, I am the child of God. Amen. I am a child of God, I should say. I am Amen. a child of God. When I say the child of God, I, I, I'm not saying the only one. You, you get it. You get it. But I am a child of God. Amen? Amen? I am a holy child of God. Amen. Pastor, that's braggadocious. No, it's not. The, the, the Bible calls us his holy people. Yes. Right? Yes. He calls us holy. He's called us to be holy. He said, be holy as my Father in Heaven is holy, right? or sorry, as I am holy. And then Jesus said, be perfect as my Father in Heaven is perfect, right? Mm -hmm. Peter quotes the, the holy passage. 
You know, listen, there's, there's no reason why we ought to be, and I talked about this last week, I think it was last Wednesday, I can't remember now. Well, there's no reason to be falsely humble and say, oh, no, I'm, I'm not holy enough to, to, to really pray. No, 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 no. Stop messing around. Stop wasting time with that kind of stuff. Right? Mm-hmm. But there's, there's two items on this list that I want to go over. I mean, we could go over the whole thing and just and bring out a lot of good stuff, but there's two parts. We know that it's a daily prayer by, by Jesus saying, give us this day our daily bread, but it's right after that. He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, our trespasses as some, transla- or some gospels say it in the King James. Everybody all right? Yep. Now, if you look at First uh, uh, John, he says, sin is the transgression of the law. He gives us the premier definition of sin. Some people say, well, sin means miss the mark. Yes, it does. But if you want a, a go-to scripture that's, that defines what sin is, it means to dra- transgress the law. What is the law? The law means the instruction. If God gives you instruction, if it's written down or if it's spoken in the spirit, either one. If it's instruction of the Lord and you transgress that instruction, you have sin. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. We like to pick and choose which one of the laws we can uh, pay attention to or not. And we've gotten a lot of religion about it. We, we've learned from our elders and, uh, and, and people in the church. It's, you'll find it nowhere in the Bible where it, it lays these things down. But we have categorized it on our own. You can pay attention to these. You don't have to pay attention to these. And you don't find anywhere in the Bible where it gives you a breakdown like that. Mm-hmm. The breakdown is obvious. The breakdown is if... God himself in the form of Jesus Christ has become the Lamb of God, there is no more need for an animal sacrifice. That's how obvious it becomes. But then there's less obvious things like circumcision. And so Paul goes on and on and on about circumcision. And if you just read what the Lord talks about it, it's not anything being done away with. It's something being elevated by the Spirit. We no longer... Uh, I hate to say it like this, but we no longer have to get circumcised. We do get circumcised in the heart, though. Circumcision is still a part of our life. That's whether you're a man or a woman, either one. And that's the difference. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, tells us how a spiritual person's life is even more stringent than an Old Testament Christian's life. He says, they said it this way, but I'm telling you this way. If you even look at a woman, or if you even uh, say a bad word to your brother, I mean, some bad things can happen. In the old days, it was if you actually stuck a knife into someone's back or clubbed him over the head or slept with his wife. That's the only time you're actually sinning in those situations like we talked about this morning or earlier today with David, right? He did some horrible things, murder and adultery, or adultery then murder, right? The Bible says he killed Uriah with the sword of the Amorites. He might as well held the sword in his own hand Mm -hmm. because he knew exactly what he was doing. That's what the word says. Mm -hmm. I think it's 2 Samuel 12. But he literally killed him with the sword of the Amorites. Jesus comes along and says, if you even look on a woman to lust after her in your heart, you've already committed adultery. What What it comes down to is We, as humans, just don't like to be told what to do. We don't like someone being able to tell us what to do, and that goes all the way up the chain. We don't even like God telling us what to do. It's human nature. We like our habits, and we don't like to break our habits. Even when we recognize the habits are terrible for us, we still don't like to break them. When people break a habit in their life, it's because they want to. Hey, we've seen people that have no Holy Ghost break bad habits, right? We've seen people that come up just with the force of their will. I want something better in my life, and this is a bad habit. I'm getting rid of it, and they get rid of it, and they're successful. And they don't even have the Holy Ghost. That tells me right now that this is a decision. This is a decision that you as a human can make. Right. And if with the Holy Ghost you're still not breaking bad habits, that's because there's not enough want to. There's not enough zeal. Well, Pastor, how do we get zeal? Well, there's a long road before you, can, you can't just get lit up right away. You can get a little fire when you get the Holy Ghost. And that will last for a little while. But you've got to keep it going. Right. Now... 
We know in the Old Testament tabernacle pattern, we know that the fire on the altar, the brazen altar, was not to go out. Anybody recognize that? Anybody understand? I'm saying it's true. I'm not going to the passage right now, but you can recognize that it was a command of God. Do not let this fire go out. And I think I'm talking to a group of people that knows already that the altar uh, of uh, the brazen altar was an altar of repentance. We, we know that it symbolizes repentance. This is a fire that's not supposed to go out. If you feel your fire going dead, it's because you don't have enough wood on the altar. Right. Right? Well, what's wood? Wood is a symbol of our flesh. We don't have enough flesh on the altar. We don't have enough of our humanity on the altar. If you feel the fire of the Holy Ghost going dim, if you find yourself having to ask God, like I do at times, I do. Oh, Lord God, baptize. I prayed it this morning and, or earlier today in church. Lord God, baptize me afresh in the Holy Ghost and fire. Amen. Amen. I want more fire. If you have to pray that, it's an indictment against you. But it doesn't mean you have to go to hell. It just means it's an indication that there's not enough humanity on the fire. If it's going out. The command to the children of Israel is don't let that fire go out. And there was more to it than that. It said every fire that you bring into the tent has to come from this fire. Everything you do in the holy place has to come from repentance. Everything. If, if it's a zeal inside of you, it's a fire inside of you, everything has to come through the repentance. It's got to come through judgment. That brass was a symbol of judgment. We may not like it, and the Lord is not apologizing for it. We may not like it, but that's the way it is. Amen. It comes through that repentance. has to. That's the pattern. He told Moses several times, do everything according to the pattern. Some of you guys that love the tabernacle, this will speak to you. I love the tabernacle. So it speaks to me. <clears throat> Praise God. Amen. Every time I pray through the tabernacle, I have a good prayer meeting. Every time I pray through Matthew chapter 6 or, or its companion passages, uh, I, I have a good prayer meeting. Every time I, I pray through uh, you know, uh, other situations like that that you can find in the Bible, I have a good prayer meeting. You start praying scripture, you're going to have a good prayer meeting. Amen. Praise God. If, if, if you don't know how to pray, start praying like King David. If you feel like you have a need for repentance, then literally you can open up your Psalm 51 and just start quoting it word for word. You might not have ever committed murder or adultery, but you can still apply it to your life. And so we know this is a daily prayer. We know that the wicks in the tabernacle had to be trimmed every single day, right? We, need, we know the oil had to be refreshed every single day. If there's not enough uh, light in your spirit, then there's not enough trimming going on. There's not enough replenishing of the oil going on. Praise God. Uh, what, what made the five foolish virgins foolish is because they didn't have enough oil. That's all it was. They didn't have enough Holy Ghost. Was there not enough Holy Ghost available? No! There was plenty of Holy Ghost available. They just didn't have enough of it. And it ran out. And so while they were going out to try to find a place to get more, when they were trying to find a preacher to dump some more Holy Ghost inside of them, the Lord already does tell. And they missed out on it. That should be scary. If you don't know what I'm talking about, read Matthew chapter 25. It can be some scary stuff in there, folks. It doesn't mean there's not enough Holy Ghost. It just means you don't have enough because it needs to be replenished every day. The idea in that parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25 is the five wise virgins, what they did was they basically sold everything they had to make sure that they go out and they buy extra oil if that's what it takes because they don't know. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know how much Holy Ghost we're going to need. How many prayer meetings do I have to have, Pastor, before the Lord comes back? You just keep praying every day. You just keep filling up every day because you don't know how long He's going he's gonna to tarry. But we do have a promise that when He's going to come, He's going to come and He will no longer tarry. And it's going to take us with it. It's going to happen, folks. Don't let the events of the world convince you that God's not coming back. Jesus is coming back. And He's coming back for a people that is without spot and without wrinkle, full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost. 
So this is not, I know this is an old-timey message here today, but it, it still applies today because it's an everyday type word. So when he's telling us this, Matthew 6, you know, the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, you know, or the Disciples' Prayer, whatever you want to call it. Again, I can't overstress. I know, I know we know it, but it's so easy to take a good habit and make it a bad habit. True. It's so easy to just start, Our Father's are. We know it's a daily prayer. One of the things that he says do every day is ask God to forgive your debts and make sure you forgive someone else their debts. Praise God. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Sorry, 9. Matthew chapter 9. It's just a couple of passages ahead. I'm going to swing back to Matthew 6 in a minute, but in my Bible, it's only one page turn. And your Bible is probably only a few. But in Matthew 9, he says, verse number 1, And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. We could preach. We could preach about fifty different ways on that passage. Mm. He's seeing their faith. <laughs> if he had seen them just bring a sick guy up and with no faith, guess what? This passage might not even be here. But he saw their faith. He said, "Son, talking to the man who was sick, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Great, but I'm hurting." Yeah. Well. A lot of times it starts right with this forgiveness passage, right? Amen. And notice what Jesus says after this. I know we know this. It's all right. It's a good reminder. And behold, Amen. certain of the scribes within themselves said, within themselves, this man blasphemeth. <clears throat> this man blasphemeth. Well, they, you can't hardly blame them, right? Because if I came up and I was praying to someone and said, I don't care what you did. Everything's all right. God forgives you. I mean, we might just tend to say, you can't forgive on, on God's behalf. And I would tend to say, okay, that's fine. Jesus does say, whoever sins you remit are remitted. And whoever sins you retain, they're retained. We're not going to get off on that. And we're not going to prove the, the normal traditional religion of confession. But we do have in the scripture... Confession is good. And confession falls one to another. So I'm not, I've already said this several times over the last several weeks. I feel like I need to keep qualifying this point. I'm not going to set up a booth in my office. Okay? I'm just not going to do it. But we need to get into a habit of being, a good habit, not a religion, of being transparent. Coming in with repentance. Praise God. If we believe with all our heart, God's going to forgive us then we, there's no reason not to be transparent. Mm -hmm. Everybody good on Amen. So he goes on and said, you know, this guy's blaspheming. Yeah, because it's not. Only God can forgive your sins. You know, back to that passage, King David again. The Lord just keeps tagging me. Maybe that's what I should have preached today. But, you know, I, I remember that part where King David in Psalm 51 says, against you and only you have I sinned. Right? When we're saying, hey, he, he sinned against Uriah. But David said, I only sinned against you. Was that David not understanding how it works? No, I think David was a pretty intelligent guy. Was that David just totally uh, uh, walking in his, his unconsecration and just like not even considering the, the, the pain and the awfulness that he put into one man's life? No. No, I think what it was is he just is simply, in fact, I know what it was. He was simply acknowledging whatever sin we do, it's against God. Paul goes so far as to say there are all sins are without the body, but fornication sins against the body. But you know what I'm saying? When we're sinning, we're really sinning against God. He's the one that made us. He's the one that made us the way we are. He's the one that told us how to live. And if we don't live that way, it's really a trespass against him, right? That's what David acknowledged. So... When some guy comes along and you don't realize he is God come in the flesh and he says, 
I forgive you. Or, more than that, he didn't even say I forgive you. He says, your sins are forgiven. Whoa, dude. You can't, yeah, no, you're some crazy guy. Well, it's because they didn't have the information we have today. To us, it seems so obvious. To them, it was not. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. I think we know what happens. And he arose and departed to his house. You know, hey, he's healed. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. This is the work of God. But you've got to understand what Jesus is saying. He's using that code word, son of man. He's not saying son of God. When you see Jesus outlined as Christ, we're referring to his humanity. When we see him uh, highlighted as Jesus, we're referring to his salvation. If you see him highlighted as Lord, you're, you're highlighted. We're, we're seeing him as sovereign king, right? Now, that's the reason why the Bible says there is one mediator between God and man. The man, not Jesus Christ, but rather the man Christ Jesus. He's still our Savior, but we're putting Christ in front of the Jesus. Why? To indicate that this is the anointed one. It's the anointed man. It's the one who was commissioned to be our mediator. And so when Jesus is saying son of man, it is code for us. It lets us know if Jesus can do it, we can do it. Amen. Can we forgive somebody our sins? Oh, Jesus goes so far and says, you better. But what if it's deeper than just saying, I forgive you? What if, if we really don't forgive them, they can't be right? What if that's that passage in John that says, whoever sins you retain, they retained. What if they can't be right with God if you won't, not only you won't be right, but they won't. There's something that's going to lay on their, their charge. There's something that's going to gall against them. I believe that's why in, G, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, if you know your brother has ought against you. That's a little counterintuitive. Normally, we would think if you have something against your brother, you go to him and make it right. Yes, but uh, if you, that often doesn't happen. What he says is if you know a brother has something against you, you go to him. You leave your gift at the altar. You just set it aside. You go, you make it right. Whatever you need to do. You ask for forgiveness. You work it out somehow. If that person isn't willing to work with you, you when you've done all you can do, then you just say, okay, I can't do anything else. Then you can go back to the altar. If they forgive you, wonderful. Everything's good. But this is such a powerful thing because as Jesus just pointed out, healing and forgiveness go hand in hand, mm -hmm. right? Healing and forgiveness go hand in hand. We need healing every single day. Right. You know, every time you go to sleep, your body heals itself. Yes. Muscle fibers get repaired and all kinds of things get reset. Your, your nervous energy gets reset and all, all kinds of wonderful things happen just while you're sleeping. Mm -hmm. Now, if you go to bed with cancer, you very well may wake up the next day with cancer. But if you just get enough rest, you can go a long way towards healing. Mm -hmm. And if there's no sickness in your body, all the little things that you might, have, you might have done throughout the day to make your body worn out or worn down, that stuff gets repaired in the night while you sleep. So healing is an everyday thing. We walk through this earth every single day. But what's the very next thing Jesus says in Matthew 6? He says... Verse number 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He follows that up later by saying, you've got to forgive because if you don't, he don't. And if you do, he does. Okay? But he says in verse 15, sorry, uh, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A better translation, in my opinion, is the evil one. Deliver us from evil. What's the difference between healing and deliverance? What's the difference? Well, healing is almost always, uh, uh, the need for healing is almost always because something has invaded your body. If someone stabs me with a knife, I need healing, right? Because something invaded my body. If I was near too much radiation, I would get sick, radiation sickness, because those little bullets of radiation, whether they're gamma radiation, beta radiation, alpha radiation, new, uh, neutron radiation, we can... 
you know, whatever is, is bombarding your body is going to start damaging your cells and your tissues, right? Something invaded you. And it could just be like x-rays. That's radiation too. It's damaging you. They're like little bullets that fly right through you. They can't fly through your bones, but they can fly through your front flesh. That's the reason why they're good for x-rays, okay? Uh, because it shows you the, you know, things, you know, in your body because it can't pass through the bones and stuff. Anyway, it's damaging. That's why the doctor goes behind the screen, right? That's why they cover you up with all kinds of lead cushions uh, so that nothing else gets radiated that don't need to get radiated because they know that I'm about to fire a bunch of bullets inside of you. And, you know, yes, a little bit you can heal up for uh, with. But anything, bacteria, virus, some kind of injury, it's always something that has invaded your body. Unfortunately, we've been sold a bag of goods that, you know, it's just arbitrary. It's DNA. You know, if you, if you have, if your parents were sick this way, then and the chances are you'll get sick this way too. And if your parents were prone to, you know, Parkinson's, you've you got to get yourself checked out. No, 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 no. It's all about what invades you. Right? right? Mm -hmm. Jesus, though, he says a completely different thing. He says, it's not that what that goes in that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. Mm -hmm. Now that's on a different level. He wasn't talking about healing. He was talking about defilement. Mm -hmm. Now often defilement will make you sick. But he's saying what's coming out of your spirit will defile your whole man. But we're not talking about necessarily defilement in this case. We're talking about healing. Healing is always necessary when something has invaded you. Whereas deliverance is necessary when you are wholly engulfed into something you don't need to be in. If someone throws you a, a lifesaver off a boat because you are in water, they're delivering you out of the water. That's the reason why they call it a delivery room when a baby comes out from its mother. It was in there, and that was a good thing for 40 weeks, but after about 40 weeks, it's no longer a good thing. The baby needs to be delivered. It was totally immersed into this situation, but it needs to come out into this situation. Uh, David, or one of the psalmists said, I was in the miry clay, but he picked me up and set me on the rock, right? right. I was in this situation, but God came along and he, uh, he picked me up. And he put me in a different situation. He delivered me. This is what deliverance is. So we see that healing needs to take place every day. Deliverance needs to take place every day. So when you hear me a lot talk about repentance, like every time we come in here, especially on Thursday night prayer, we talk about repentance, repentance, repentance. It's not going to do you any good to get angry or upset or about that because that is a good habit without religion to have. Right. Mm -hmm. Amen. When we talk about the need for healing all the time, it's, it's not useful to be a tough guy and act like we don't need anything. We need it every day. Amen. When we talk about deliverance, it's not going to be useful to say uh, to be like a sh so ashamed as something that might be in you that you don't want to know is in you. So you don't even want to pray about it. It's better just to say, Lord, search me. Know me. You know me anyway. I'm giving you permission to look inside of me to see if there's anything wrong. And if there is, Lord, please take it out. And if I'm in a situation where I shouldn't be in, Lord, take me out of it. Right? Let's look at a, I'm going to look at another passage uh, we're going to look at 1 Timothy 4.18. But along with the healing passage, you remember that part in James where it says, if there ain't meaning sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church and pray the prayer that saves the sick, right? And if you have any sins, they'll be forgiven. Anybody remember that passage? That's James chapter 5. You can look it up on your own time. But those are only two passages. Those are my favorites, but there's many passages that tie in healing and forgiveness. There's many passages in the Old Testament, many in the New Testament. It cannot be argued. Amen. I don't think anybody's going to argue with me anyway, but for anyone who might uh, want to reject that idea, it cannot be argued. It's in the Word. Right. Healing and forgiveness go hand in hand. Jesus says you need to forgive and be forgiven every day. Because we know we're flawed. Mm -hmm. But that do, does not get, make the excuse of not going on to perfection. Mm -hmm. Right? We even have to uh, uh, find those cardinal doctrines like Hebrews chapter 6 says. Repentance from dead works. Faith towards God, right? Yes. What's the first one on the list? Not faith, it's actually repentance. Repentance from dead works. Then faith towards God. Then doctrine of baptism, right? Mm -hmm. 
Praise God, lay on hands, eternal judgment, resurrection from the dead, all those good things, right? right. Those are basic lifestyle things that we need to be thinking about operating in every day of our life. It's not just pastors and ministers, evangelists and whatever you have, okay? Not just pulpit guys. It's all of us. These are basic to all of us. One of them is these things. So when we're talking about these things, we're trying to push, you know, by the Spirit and by the Word. We're trying to push a group of people into saying it's going to be a habit without religion that I'm going to get healed every day, delivered every day, uh, approach Jesus with humility and repentance every single day. Praise God. I'm, I'm, I'm going long here, so I'm going to speed it up. Praise you, Jesus. In, uh, did, I, did I say 1 Timothy? 2 Timothy. I meant 2 Timothy. Did I say 1? 2 Timothy. I'm sorry. 2 Timothy. If I can find it. I got this Bible that's not very big. It's easy to pass by these little books. 2 Timothy. I'm looking at verse uh, 18 of chapter 4. Right near the end of the whole thing. I said, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, he's talking about how there's people that came against him. This guy Alexander and stuff like that. He says, But regardless of Alexander, the Lord stood with me. <laughs> Praise God. That, 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 that is a good passage. Verse 17 says, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now, some people have taken that passage to, to believe that Paul literally was in the arena with lions. We don't know if that's true or not. It's also possible that he was just referring back to Daniel. He was in a situation like Daniel where people were gunning for him. They were gunning for his life, but God delivered him out of the mouth of the lion. He delivered him. In other words, he was in the den of lions. He didn't get taken out of Daniel. Now we're talking about Daniel. Daniel didn't get taken out of the den. He got taken out of the mouth yes. of the lion, right? Because those lions were hungry and those lions should have eaten him. So he didn't deliver him from the den. A lot of times we won't even acknowledge or praise God for deliverance because we look around and say, I'm still in the cave. Yeah. Oh, man, I wish I had a few more hours to preach this stuff right here. This is revelation right here. A lot of times we look around and say, I'm still in the cave. I must not be delivered. But the lion in the cave with you didn't eat you. So what Paul is saying here, I think what he's saying, you know, he, he literally could have been delivered from a lion in the arena. He could have been. I don't know. We don't have any historical records that, that happened, but he could have. We do, we, we do know he was thrown to the wild beast in another passage, right? So one of those wild beasts, very well, could be a lion. A lion was a favorite one. So we're not denying that, but it's also the fact that he is not talking necessarily about an arena thing. He's talking about when people came against him to do him harm. He was still in the situation, and yet God delivered him. He took him out. <laughs> It took him out of the danger of the situation. Everybody with me? And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. Praise you, Jesus. Thank God. Amen. Glory be to God in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's, let's read one more. Second Peter. We're going to go back to Paul in just a second. Second Peter. Everybody all right? Everybody still awake? Am I, am I, am I yelling loud enough for you today? Second Peter 2, 9. 2 Peter 2.9 The Lord knoweth, knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. That's what Jesus said. Deliver me from, or, or yeah, deliver me from temptations, right? Uh, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. But that's the idea. We're getting delivered from the evil one's temptations. Right? It's something we need to do every day. Because the devil is insidious. He comes at you every single day. That's why we need deliverance every single day. Because he tries to pick you up, but Jesus gives us a promise. No man can pluck you out. And I think that includes devils too. But if we let the devil take us out by falling away in temptation, then Jesus will not violate our will. So Peter comes along and says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be uh, punished. 
but chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lust of unclean. He goes on and on and on. He's like, listen, he knows how to uh, preserve us and he knows how to reserve them. He's preserving us. He's reserving them. And a lot of times it's the same people in the same church. One of them he's preserving. One of them he's reserving. I want to be part of the preserved, folks. Amen. Amen. Praise you, Jesus. And I think you do too. Praise, Praise God. Jesus. We're almost done. Almost done. Can we, can we do one more verse? 2 Corinthians 1.10. 2 Corinthians 1.10. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Somebody say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Hallelujah, God. 2 Timothy 1.10 says this. Well, you know what? Let me just read. Let me just read from the start. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in Achaia, grace be unto you, and peace from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in our tribulation. We're not always taken out of the tribulation, but he will comfort us in the tribulation. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We just got to see it the way God is telling it to us. That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, any trouble, any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Listen, if we're suffering with Christ, then every consolation in Christ also is abounding. And it just, it's not just for us, folks. When, whenever you think everything's about you, that's a selfish nature. It's about others. Amen? Amen. It's about Jesus. It's about helping others first. You're going to get everything you need. Amen. Praise God. And whether we be afflicted, it is your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the suffering, so shall ye also be of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch as we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. God, praise you, Jesus. In other words, and if you're in a situation where death is imminent, then you got to stop trusting in your mind, your heart, your flesh, your ability, whatever. Thank you, God. You better start trusting the God who can raise the dead. But this is where we're getting at, verse 10. Who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver. In whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. So he did deliver me. He's still delivering me. And he will deliver me. This is, this is the point. This is the whole point. It's an everyday thing. Repentance is an everyday thing. Yeah. It should be a good habit without religion. Right. Forgiving, forgiveness and healing should be good habits without religion. Tem uh, uh, rather, deliverance every day should be good habits without religion. We ought to be praying in a repentant prayer every single day. We ought to be praying for God's healing of mind, heart, spirit, body, right? Amen. Healing our finances, healing our relationships, healing our spoken word. See, God healed my spoken word years ago in the area of obsessive compulsive disorder. He had to heal my word, right? He had to heal what was in my heart that kept jumping out of my mouth. And now it doesn't jump out of my mouth anymore. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And I am delivered of OCD in the name of Jesus. Amen. Do I still not like sticky things? Yep, but it doesn't drive me bonkers like it used to. So that, you know what that means? There's more deliverance to come. Amen. Stand with me. Amen. Praise God. God is good. Amen. We've taught a little bit today. We've preached a little bit today. And what... I was going to have some altar call, but the Lord's telling me right in this moment, this is not an altar call type service. This is a take it home and do it type message. This is a take it home and do it. I know our flesh does not like being told what to do. But the Lord is saying, I'm the boss. Do it. Because
because it happens to be best for you anyway. Let's give God some thanks to you. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your life. We thank you for your healing. We thank you for your deliverance. Lord God, save us from the spirit of religion. Lord God, I rebuke the spirit of religion out of my life, out of my home, out of this church. Out of everybody underneath uh, the, my yes, spoken Jesus, voice here today, we cast Jesus. the spirit of religion out. Yes, thank you, we Jesus. have no use for the spirit. Yes, in, Jesus, in the name of Lord Jesus, God. give us godly, godly habits. Lord God, godly manners, godly things to do every day. Lord God, but help us to be flexible. Lord God, if we need to wake up early, help us to wake up early. Lord God, if we need to pray in the middle of the day, help us to do it. If we need to fast, even though we were fasting, help us to do it. Whatever it is, Lord God, that we can break anything and we can take anything as the Spirit leads us. Fill us with the Holy Ghost and fire. Let it start with healing and repentance. Let it start with deliverance, oh God. And we thank you for it. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the keys. Lord God, to the kingdom today that you're giving handing down to us. That's going to unlock mighty doors of the Spirit. Yes, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God. I acknowledge you. I worship you because you are great. And you are great to be praised. Amen. Praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise God. God is good, folks. God is good. If you will, let me enlist your help. Let's pray together towards February. Amen. We got about a month and a half before that happens, and uh, we might be doing some fasting. We might be doing some media fasting. The order of the services might be completely wonky. The Lord might tell us to come in on a Saturday instead of a Sunday, and that's going to tweak our last nerve. I. Hey, listen, I'm not trying to curse you with that, but listen, it's the purpose is to shake us up enough and even aggravate us a little bit to understand God's in charge. Amen. God's in charge so that we can implement what we're hearing today Amen. into everyday life, no matter if we're doing some. We're going to call it a recharge, not a reset. Amen. We've already done the reset. Now we're going to charge it up again. Amen. God bless you. Love you. Uh, offering plate is in the back. Please give. God bless you. Have a great day.